The first key is to realize and rest in your identity. This is critical. Realize and rest in your identity. The first key in living out the dreams God has placed in you. The verse comes from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Two weeks ago, I asked you to do some homework. To look up, I know, homework in church. Can you believe that? Did anybody possibly do the homework? Wow. You're so committed. I asked you to look up the word Lord. And why is the word Lord in capitals? Without having to do homework, does anybody know? All right. We're on a roll today. Let me give you some insight into this word Lord. Every time you see this in the Bible, it's been put there by the editors to let you know that the word presented in the original language of Scripture is the proper name for God. In this case, the, the, the word used in the Hebrew text of the Old Testament is the word Jehovah, Yahweh. Those are, that's, those are the words that we see in our English translations. But it refers to the name that is unpronounceable. But the only way they can pronounce it is if they have vowels. Well, there are no vowels in the Hebrew language. Really. Nowhere in the original manuscripts of the Old Testament will you find the actual name Jehovah, Yehovah, or Yahweh. What you will find is the grouping of four Hebrew consonants, which are equivalent to YHVH, J-H-V-H, or Y-H-W-H in the English language. Sometimes we see a picture of the cross of Christ and there's a four letters on there going, what are those four letters? Well, that's what they are. That's what they're referring to. All right. Religious observant Jews were forbidden to pronounce the name of God. It was too holy to even try to pronounce. So this God you say you believe in, you, can't, you couldn't say his name. So they came up with another word when they were reading the Torah, and they used the word Adonai, Lord, capital. But it refers in the original language to Yahweh, the name of God. The Bible scholars call this grouping the tetragrammaton. Anybody hear of that deep word? You'll never remember it after today, but that's okay. Um, but it's the set of four letters the Hebrew people use to signify the incommunicable name of God. This is right from your Old Testament. It's pretty cool. And it refers only to the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In other words, the God of Israel. That's the only one who got this name. Nobody else got it. Even though there were all their gods throughout the world, at least from different religions that were doing their thing, it was a sacred name. But this particular name by which God identifies himself in the Bible means, it means this, the one who exists. That is the name for Yahweh. It means the one who exists. The name points to the fact that God has no point of origin. He is eternal, self-existent. He has no need for outside sustenance. That is pretty independent. We need to know this. And you need to know that it was he. It was God himself, the great I am. It is this I am who, listen, lives in you. It is this God 
who dwells in you, with you, as you, for you, to you, and you're in union with this God. I love, love, love what was read from the great dance. It fits so perfectly today. And even the one song, Yahweh. I'm thinking, hey, somebody look at my notes ahead of time. It's perfect. Listen to this. This God who lives you, it lives in you. This is the God who stood on the edge of nothingness and said, let there be, and there was. He's the one who hung the stars in the sky and said, stay there, and they did. He's the Lord who poured out the ocean on the earth, drew a line in the sand and said, you can come this far and then you have to turn and go back. This is the God who lives in you. He set the earth on its axis at an angle and gently spun it so that we are in the exact spot where we will neither freeze nor be scorched by the sun. This God who lives in you, the one who did these things, is our Yahweh. He's the one who lives inside you. He's the Lord who plans to see you reach your divinely appointed destiny. Each one of you has a divinely appointed destiny. Now, do not misunderstand what I'm saying. It's really important. You're listening? (laughs) Don't do a rabbit trail and start to think, ooh, I clearly am not doing what I'm destined for, so there must be something else. Hold that thought. I want to come back to that a little bit. But there are numerous examples in the scriptures of how God has taken somebody who felt the individual was a nobody and reminded them of who they were. One of the best examples is Gideon. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, as his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. (laughs) And yet, here we have Gideon, who describes himself probably as the least likely guy in his whole tribe. Remember, his tribe was the least of all the tribes. But... This is a guy who says, there's no way it could be me. He describes himself as the least in Judges 6.15. Hardly seems destined for greatness. But God sees things that we don't see. God saw something in him that he could not see and would not see. His eyes only saw what he believed about himself. That's all he saw. The Bible says the day came when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon responds, Oh my Lord! And he starts to explain why he can't be the guy. Have you ever told God that? There's no way he could use me. I have no education. I have no background. I got no money. I got no future. And wine, 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 wine. And play a little fiddle of... Really? Sob story? There are people who do that. And we do it in our own heads, even though we may externally say something different. You'd be shocked at what people believe about themselves. Shocked. Despite Gideon's protest and apparent low opinion of himself, God knew he had the right man. And as you read the story, you'll discover something very powerful. He ultimately began to behave as the courageous warrior he had been all along. 
It was as he began to recognize his true identity that his life changed. As he realized and began to rest in his identity as defined by God, not himself. It was God's perspective of his identity that became his new truth. And when he began to live out of that truth, everything changed. Everything. Maybe you can relate to Gideon's early self-assessment. It might be hard for you to envision yourself in exceptional terms of greatness. You know, if I were to say, how many great people have we got here? And I'll bet you very few hands will go up. And those that do go up would pull them down so fast because it sounds proud. When really, every single hand should pop up with confidence. We are made great. This room is filled with greatness. You're great not because of the stuff you do. You're great because of who (coughs) lives in you and whose you are. You may, may be down on yourself, but God knows better. He sees you for who you really are. And it's his opinion that matters. The whole Christian life is a life of repentance. Doing 180s, changing your mind about what God thinks of you. Could somebody grab me a water thing, pretty please? This morning, how you view yourself through the lens of God will make all the difference as you move forward. Initially, we have taught here about what is our identity in Christ. But now it's time to move on. Move on and become and act out this person you are. Thanks, Jerry. St. Jerry. He even opened it for me. Your new GNA. That's what we're going to talk about. Your DNA, biologically, is a blueprint of who you are as physical beings. Correct? In your DNA, it's an expression of... uh, What what we see now is an expression of what your DNA is. Okay? And does anybody know what the word DNA stands for? How the heck did you know that? I learned one thing in school. (laughs) Look! I have no idea what it means. I, I phonetically wrote it out because I couldn't say it right. <laughs> Thank you. Just like your DNA is true, your GNA, your identity, is also true. What your DNA says about you physically is one thing. What your GNA says, your God DNA, your spiritual DNA, that is the source of truth for who you really are. Once you know this, what is inside will start to come out through your soul and through your body in action. It takes time. Listen to this. The Bible says you have a spiritual nature. It says, when you believed, when you believed and received the revelation of the life of Jesus Christ, you discovered your your nature has been transformed. The Bible says you've became a partaker of divine life. Each of you who's experiencing divine life. Listen to this. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And then Corinthians, it says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph through us and and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. 
You are guided and led in triumph, not defeat. Unfortunately, many people, all they see is defeat because they're not great. I'm not talking about negative self-talk here. I'm not talking about positive self-talk. Those have a place. We need to understand what those do, but you first have to understand what's going on in the first place of who you are. Then the self-talk matters because then you speak truth. You speak to truth. Your words do matter. They're not magic. You don't say words to, to make the change. You say the words that affirm the change that has happened already. Does that make sense? There's a lot of books out there on positive thinking and positive talk. They're missing the foundation. They're doing it all in the back end. They're, do, they're doing all the, the stuff on the other side that is beneficial only to those <coughs> who really know who they are. And there may be some changes, but they won't last. They won't last because they're going to have to try even harder to maintain because something breaks down. They find newer ways to self-talk. In you pulsates divine life. Christ is in you and will live his life through, your, through you. What greater assurance of victory can you possibly have? You have victory. Listen to this. Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of the most misused verses in the evangelical church, especially among charismatic families. I'll tell you why. We say, well, then I can do anything I think of. I can do all things. Guess what? The source who is in you, Christ, who is your life, if he plants an idea in your head for you to do, you cannot fail. I can do all things through Christ. If it's Christ-driven, Christ-inspired, Christ-fueled, you will have victory. Don't use this as a positive, I can do this, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it, and you kind of self-talk your way through, and oh, it didn't work. We do it all the time. Let's stop it. Let's take a look at who the source is. The whole book of Philippians is about who our source is. Let's take it in context and hear what it says. Listen to this. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Whose doing? By his doing. Not your own. Not your wonderful ways of, of being such a great person. You've, you've made all the right relationships. You've, you've talked to the right people, and you've never had anything bad happen to you, and, and, and so you've got it all figured out. Oh, I must be doing everything right. I'm, it must be God's will. <laughs> Folks, get your eyes off that stuff and put it back on Jesus. Who is your righteousness? If you're doing those things to maintain those good things or to get good things, your focus is off of Christ completely. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You have already been given victory. What are we talking about victory? How do, what are, what's a misunderstanding of victory? How, how could you negatively read this verse? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. For those who do not feel victory, how could, they, how could this verse be very disturbing? What do you think? If you're not experiencing victory, you're not in Christ. Bingo. If you're not experiencing victory, maybe you're not in Christ. But what about your definition of victory? Bingo! That's where I was getting at too. Your definition of victory. Victory for this current battle you put yourself into? 
or the victory, that God will do what he needs to do in and through you in his good time. Hmm. We're in such a selfish world. We, we want everything our way. Everything's focused on me, 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 me. Hmm. Look at the kids. <laughs> me, me, me. I want, I want. One kid took a whole bunch of chocolate bars. <laughs> Starting off well. Listen, you've been made a new creation. You don't have to go through life with a defeated attitude. And there are many feeling defeated. You do not have to live like that. I promise you. One of the biggest changes may not be, when you believe all this, one of the biggest changes may not be your circumstances. Because many people are trying to get out of their circumstances. And if they get out of the circumstance, they call that victory. But if they're not out of the circumstance, then it's not victory. Can you see the vicious cycle? We're not talking about circumstances. It can be evidenced in circumstances, but not necessarily. Huh. The biggest changes could be your mindset, your attitudes. God may reveal the greatness, the dreams in what you are, listen, already doing. What if you hate your job? What if God draws you to himself in your mind and you learn to surrender this frustration. And God gives you a new love for it. Now, it's hard to see that when you hate your job. <laughs> it's true, right? Your, your mindset is, I am out of here. I've already got resumes out. There's no way. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not trying to speak to anybody specifically. I'm saying this, that when you ask for this victory to become real, he may give you a new mindset and a new heart for what you're doing. Ask any mom. Do you think it's rewarding doing all the same mundane stuff every day? Same whiny kids, whiny husbands. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Like, really, what if God shows you the power of the love in you that's being shown to your kids and it takes that long 16 to 20 years of investing in your kids for that love to take such deep root, it will carry them through for the rest of their lives because you're the conduit of that grace and love. Are you okay with that? These are big questions. I'm not talking about circumstance. I'm talking about attitude and mindset. What has the Lord shown you? Too often we hear messages like this, and it implies that our current situation is mundane compared to better things God wants us to do. When we do this, we actually take our eyes off of Christ and look for other great things. But it is our definition of greater that we are looking for, not God's. This will lead to much greater disappointment, not victory. Does that make sense? Yes, no? Okay. Listen, the person who you were before Christ died. There's a new you. You've been made brand new. You are a new creation. Discover what that new creation is. And when you do, then you get to start to live out of that creation. Otherwise, you're going to be locked into a mindset of living out of somebody who you aren't. Like that mom telling her kid after he said, I'm stupid. You're not. That's a, a self-depreciating statement. 
and unfortunately comes from many, many messages of shame, even people telling you that you're stupid. I grew up with that. My whole life I was told that. Do you know how long it takes to get that out of you? It's still not out. It's still not out. But I am learning to depend on the life of Christ in me more and more. I've not arrived. It is a journey. I have been crucified with Christ. Past tense or future? Past tense. It's a done deal. Believe it. You're a brand new person and capable of dreaming new dreams and living a life you could never have lived. Even the life you're living now, God can give you a dream for the life you're living right now to see his purpose and what he might be doing in and through you at these places. If he moves you to another place, another job, or whatever change happens, he is with you and guiding you. Even when you think you're alone, you're not alone. It's impossible for you to be alone. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, and the old things have passed away, old things have come. New, th new things have come. Some folks say that you are who you think you are. Have you heard that term? Well, you are what you think you are. Nope. Others say you are who others think you are. Other people's opinions. Some even say you are who you think other people think you are. <laughs> I'm going to suggest the truth. You are who God says you are. It shuts out a whole ton of voices. You can stop searching for outside voices in this world trying to define who you are. Because the church will tell you who you are through your activity and busyness in it for their own self-purpose. Your job will tell you who you are because they want to make a profit off of you. And so on. You can go down the road all you want. Believe who God says you are. Love this next part. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Grace is good. Teaching grace is fundamentally important. But it is never designed to stay passive. Ever. God has things for you to do. It may be in church. It may be in your neighborhood. It may be in your job. It may be in your home but he has work for you to do. Workmanship, poema. Does it sound like a word you know? Workmanship is the word poema in the Greek language of the New Testament. You are the poem of God, a divine work of art, a masterpiece created by him. I love this from the mirror. We are engineered by his design. He molded and manufactured us in Christ. We are his workmanship, his poetry. We are fully fit to do good, equipped to give attractive evidence of his likeness in us in everything we do. You lack nothing. Everybody is fully equipped to reveal the life of Christ in them. I'm thinking many are afraid to actually let him out. Christ is in you and he wants out. <laughs> false identities. What are the false identities that people put on you? We each have our own in our own heads. False identities of you're stupid, 
you're not worthy. You'll never measure up to anything. You're a complete failure. You're stupid, shameful. You're only good to be used and abused. These are voices that people hear all the time. And they've been spoken into our lives. And we have to start rejecting those voices and start replacing it with truth. Because when we do, you will see evidence of it in your life. You'll see Christ in you lived out in your everyday language, your terminology, your behaviors. God does that. But it comes from belief. He wants you to be totally free to pursue with enthusiasm the God-designed plan. Do you know what the word enthusiasm means? Entheos. In God. I've had teachers tell me, don't be so enthusiastic. Ha! No more. I will be enthusiastic. Because it's in God that I do these things. Now, my personality shows it differently than some others. That's fine. But we can all be entheos, enthusiastic. Yay. I can just see somebody doing that. People have taken on false identities from countless sources. But tell you this, if the truth sets us free, then it's easy to believe lies will put you into bondage. It's time to hear truth. Time to call out the lies so they no longer have power and they no longer chain us to faulty beliefs we've had. Our parents have sent messages to us. Our siblings have sent messages to us. Right or wrong, they've come. And some of us have had horrific messages sent to us. It's what you do with those messages that matters now. Teachers have done it. Friends have done it. Neighbors, authorities. People have spoken into your lives. What do you believe about yourself? You must stop and ask. No more playing games. Life's too short. Take the time today. Who am I? What are the voices I've listened to? Maybe there's a reason you're paralyzed and not experiencing this life, this abundant life I keep talking about. You have it. Start experiencing it. It's your choice. Sometimes it's a lot easier to not and just live in the humdrum of our pain and shame. Who spoke to you? What are the voices? What has held you back? Let me say this. Ask God to show you. And it's probably going to come pretty quick. Say, Father, what voices have I been listening to? And have I forgotten about some voices that have spoken into my life that have caused a pattern of lies that I believe about myself or about you? Show me. So I can go back to those voices and say, shut up. Go back where you came from. You have no place in my mind. That's hard to do. I promise you, it is very, very hard to do. It requires solace time, quiet time, reflection time, especially if you're a very busy person. Stop! You'll only stop when you're desperate enough. Until you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're not going to do anything about it. We'll be patient and love on you and encourage you all the way through. It's good news. Only God can define who you are. You're not even capable of defining who you are. 
God spoke a name to you. Your new name will be City of God's Delight. Are you kidding me? If you've believed yourself as being not good enough and can't do anything right, you'll never measure up. You're stupid. How can anybody delight in you? They must like you or something. You're a city of God's delight. Bride of God. Now, in order to be a bride, you've got to really love them or something or you're, you get forced into a marriage, you know? In our culture, it's, it's, we marry for love, you know? We say, I love you, I love you, I love you too. Yeah, yeah. We do all that stuff. This is God saying, you're my bride. And he gets to define love. And if he's loving you like he says he does, maybe you just need to meditate on that and be overwhelmed. And then it says, for the Lord delights in you. This is the whole covenant. Isn't that cool? Will you choose to believe what he says about you and the name he has given you? You have a new name. Delight. Will you trust God's judgment on the matter? Because you probably are misjudging yourselves. Yeah, but if you knew what I did, the shameful things I've done and am doing, Lord, there's no way. You know what he says? If only you knew how I see you. Those things do not define your identity. Your behaviors do not define your identity. You can be good, you can be bad, you're still a saint. Start acting like one, it helps. Looks better on you. The outfit looks great on you. When you start acting like who you aren't, man, ooh, I've sat on the bus or beside people that, you know, um, pretty nasty. You know, they're, they're, they stink. And it's like, ugh. or walk down a grocery store aisle and, and uh, certain people who are, <laughs> you're laughing, <laughs> certain individuals who work on farms who don't clean. And you walk past and the whole place just reeks. Go, whoa. But then they get cleaned up. And guess what? It's attractive. Are they saints? Yes. The real them, they're clean. They're whole. So are you. You must believe it. Only when we recognize our true identity in Christ, then we are free. Take a look at this. I don't have time to go through it because I just looked at the clock, but I am finishing. This is who you are in Christ. Email me and I'll send this off to you. This is a great mini list. Or go back to my blog and you'll find a hundred on there. Who are you in Christ? What if then your false identity is a positive one? There are people who know how to create a positive self-identity that they think they're fine. They're not hurting anybody. They got lots of friends. They got everything. Everything's fine. They've done it right. Even false internal names that you've assumed in a po that are positive, you're still in trouble. Any name we embrace which comes from the world is a name inseparably joined to our performance. Do well and keep up the good name. How long can you maintain it? But when that world comes crashing down, look out. Stop doing well and you will lose your good name, the name the world gives you, but not with God. When you know your name, the name he has given you, you can live out of that name all the time, whether you do well or not. We need that encouragement. 
He names you on the basis of who he is in you and what he has done to you, not on your behavior. Your true identity has no connection whatsoever with your behavior. Succeed greatly or fail miserably in the world and your identity stays intact either way with God. Each person, however, behaves according to their belief. Everybody acts according to their beliefs. I know exactly what people are believing when, when they act certain ways. A lot of people believe a lot of lies, acting like who they are not. They believe and act out who they think they are, what their identity is at any given moment. There are times when I act out who I really am. It's fun. There are times I act out who I'm not. And sometimes that's fun too, but it's not who I am. <laughs> Just saying. It's only when you realize and rest in your identity that life becomes an adventure. The Spirit, the Sovereign Lord, is upon me. Ask the, your Heavenly Father to affirm to you who you are. Ask him to reveal the life that is flowing through your veins. You have divine life in you. That is who you are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning, speak to each person here in their own way. Whatever message it is they need to hear today, if it has nothing to do with what I've talked about, that's fine. But be the encourager. Be the whisperer of truth. And constantly, constantly, constantly remind each one of us who we are in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.